Amen. Please sit your seats. I don't know if you were listening to Radio 4 this morning, but it was good to hear one of our own fellas on there, Matthew Renshaw, talking about Teen Challenge and the work of Teen Challenge on Radio 4. How many people listen to Radio 4? There's a few intelligent people in here. <laughs> no, you can catch it up on iPlayer. He's on iPlayer. It was great to hear him. I want to speak from a passage that, um, well, you might, you might have read it, you might not have read it, but you certainly would know the story. In 1 Samuel 17, uh, this morning, the story of um, David and Goliath. And uh, you, you probably read it to your kids, you probably uh, even read it yourself, you certainly would probably know it. But uh, 1, cha- 1 Samuel chapter 17 in the Old Testament, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. says this, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped near Socha in Judah and Azekiah uh, at Ephes Damin. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of the spear was as heavy as, uh, as thi- and as thick as a weaver's beam. It was tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion. But you are only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. When reading through that passage, and it's a familiar passage, and you may know it off by heart, you may be very familiar with it, it's uh, easy to forget that it's not a fable, it's not a legend, it's an actual real event in the history of Israel. It's an actual account of a very real battle taking place. Two armies are assembled and drawn out and are ready for war. On one hill stands the Philistine, Philistines, the enemy. They're highly organized, they're highly equipped, they're highly experienced in war, highly experienced in killing to get what they want. And facing them, on the opposite hill, stand the army of Israel. Quite a motley crew, actually, made up of mostly farmers, land workers, laborers, In terms of war, they were quite disorganized. And they were certainly 
poorly equipped compared to the Philistines. And between the two armies lies this valley, the valley of Elah, where a simple brook runs down. And then from out of the ranks of the Philistine army strides a giant of a man, Goliath. He's huge. He's absolutely huge. He strides confidently and defiantly. And he stands as their spokesman, their representative, and more importantly, as their champion. History records three things about about Goliath. We don't know very much about him apart from these three things. Firstly, his name, Goliath. You don't find many people call Goliath these days. It's not a very popular name to name your baby, but Goliath. Well, there's a reason why. Goliath means to be ejected, thrown out, rejected. That's what his name means. So we know that about him. He's a reject. He's been thrown out. We know that he's a champion. So basically, everybody he's fought, he's defeated. He's, he's won them in, in fighting, in battle. And lastly... We know that he's from a place called Gath. And if you look into the history of Gath, it was a pretty lawless city. It was a horrible place. It was a place of crime. It was a place of intimidation. It was a place that nobody really wanted to live. And here was Goliath, whose name meant thrown out. If you're thrown out of such a horrible place, what does that actually say about you? You're not a very pleasant person. Which is probably why... He was the best person for the Philistines to put forward, to intimidate, to be defiant and to uh, shout on to the Israelites and, and try and get them defeated in their heads already. All those facts we know about him, the real most important fact is, is he was real. He was real. History records that he was a real man. And as Israel looked on, they could see how real he was. He was over nine feet tall, a freak, a monster. His coat of armor alone weighed more than I do. His help, well, I know I'm not very big, but you know, you wouldn't want me walking around on your back all the, all the time, would you? His helmet had a big plume on the top, making him look even taller, even more intimidating. He was fully kitted out for killing he had a javelin, he had a spear, he had a sword, he had a shield. The shield so heavy, it needed another man to carry it in front of him. And he comes with all this equipment and he shouts in defiance at the Israelite army. He was a very real giant. He posed a very real threat and he created very real fear. Let me ask you a question this morning. What giants are you facing in your life this morning? You might have some very real giants that pose a very real threat, that are very real in intimidating you this morning. You may have a very real sickness. It threatens you. It puts fear into you. You don't know how to cope with it, but you live with it daily. And it's defiant towards you. You may have a very real family problem or personal problem, marriage problem perhaps, 
that shouts defiantly at you every single day. You can't escape it. You may have got a very real addiction. Intimidating you. Constantly keeping you in its grip. It's a very real giant. You may have a very real emotional or perhaps mental problem. Shouting at you. Wearing you down daily. It might be a very real financial problem. It might feel as though it's over nine feet tall. It keeps you awake every night. Or maybe you face an inner fear. A bit like what Mike was talking about last week. A fear of eternity. What eternity holds. What will happen when you die. Is there life after death? It's something that that causes you to, to live in fear. They're all very different types of giant. But they're all very real types of giant. And in the story, each morning and each evening, the Israelites came forward to take a look and they listened and they turned back and they ran in fear and trembling from their giant. But Goliath and the Philistines, they wanted to show that they were not complete primitives. They were not complete caveman, Neanderthals, they, they, they had a type of war that they called man-to-man. They were a thinking race. They wanted to show that they were civilized. And so Goliath came out and bellowed this challenge at Israel. Send just one man to fight me. One man from all of you to come and fight me. In verse 9 he says, if he is able to fight and kill me, We will become your subjects, your slaves. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and our slaves. Those were the terms. And there in the valley, Goliath stood. In verse 10, he says, I defy this day the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight. And history records the Israelites' reaction. On hearing the Philistines, Saul uh, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. My version of the Bible says they were deeply shaken. Saul was their king. Saul was concerned because part of his qualification for being a king was that he was tall. He was head and shoulders above most men. He was handsome, as if that was a qualification for being a king. It's a stupid qualification. Being tall and being handsome... What about the little ugly guy? Ugly guys. <laughs> but actually Saul knew that the qualification that made him a king also qualified him to be the perhaps the, the man who went out and fought against this giant. So he was deeply shaken. Outwardly, Saul looked like he was a good man for the job. But inwardly, in his heart and in his mind, He was terrified. He was terrified because of the physical threat that Goliath posed. But actually spiritually as well, he was terrified. Because he knew he was far off from God. God was not in his life. He was living his life away from God. He was ruling his country without the wisdom of God. And facing this giant terrified him. Because he knew he wasn't in the right place before God. My question to you this morning is, what's going on in your heart this morning? As you face 
your giant or your giants, do you inwardly tremble? Maybe outwardly, you're trying to keep it all together. But inside, in your mind, in your heart, you're deeply shaken. Maybe you feel all alone. Maybe you know that you're far away from God. Maybe God's never featured in your life. In verse 12 of our story, we're introduced to a young man. Young man called David. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse. An Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. David was this young man from Bethlehem who in previous chapters had been chosen by the prophet to be the next king. Jesse had a number of sons and Samuel came to choose the next king and one by one they all came out in front of the prophet. Some were tall, some were good looking, some were experienced in war, some had, had, had earthly wisdom but none of them qualified. And so Samuel was, was wondering whether he'd heard right from God. And he said to Jesse, surely you've got other sons. There must be another son. Jesse said, well, I've got the youngest one, David. He's out in the field looking after the sheep. Call him, said Samuel. And as soon as David walked in, Samuel knew that he was the next king. He was young. He was inexperienced. He was small. <laughs> he was the man. Even though he was from the smallest tribe in Judah, this one man from Bethlehem would make all the difference. He would stand against the giant. He would gain a tremendous victory for God's people. You know the story. Verse 38 carries on to say this. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, a coat of mail. David put it on, he strapped the sword over it and took a step or two to see what he was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come to me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. But not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. And he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down to the ground. 
So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's own sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and to cut off his head. So David triumphed over the Philistine. This one man from Bethlehem triumphed over the giant that was intimidating his whole nation. When you turn to the New Testament, the New Testament describes how the greatest giant that mankind can face is the giant of sin. It explains what sin does and what sin is, if you read through the New Testament, how it defiantly stands in our way and how it makes us powerless, powerless to do anything about it. The book of Ephesians chapter 2 says this, Once you were dead, doomed forever because of your many sins, you used to live like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air. He... He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passions and desires of our evil nature. We were born with an evil nature, and we were all under God's anger, just like everyone else. No matter how good we try to be, the Bible says, sin holds us captive. We cannot escape it. It corrupts us. Whatever we do is tainted by it. It separates us from God. God cannot look upon that sin. It subjects us to futility. Sin has corrupted the whole of creation. Our nature and the nature of, uh, of creation as well. And we battle with life. Life throws up all kinds of injustices, diseases and all kinds of, of traps. But the Bible explains that we are unable to defeat it. Our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. No one is righteous, not one. And we know that. Every single one of us is broken. Every single one of us is sinful. And day after day, sin raises its gigantic head and shouts at us and intimidates us, and is defiant with us, and we can't beat it. We give in to it in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. Without God, sin is our monster. And sin is Satan's champion. Satan is the real enemy, and he uses sin to defiantly and confidently intimidate us. Ultimately, if we don't do anything about that sin, if we don't call on God to stand in the gap, sin holds us in slavery and ultimately will separate us from God for eternity. The Bible calls that hell. It's a very real situation to be separated from God for eternity. But Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says this, But just at the right time, when we were powerless to do anything to help ourselves, when we were dismayed and terrified, one man from Bethlehem, Jesus Christ, died for us sinners. That one man from Bethlehem is Jesus. Do you see the, the reflection from the Old Testament to the New Testament? The one man from Bethlehem, David, battled a giant. The one man from Bethlehem, Jesus Christ battled against sin. And the spoils of the battle are just the same. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. 
But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, Satan was rubbing his hands. He thought finally he had defeated God once and for all. He had crucified the Son of God. And hanging on that cross, Satan thought that he was the champion. And yet the Bible says differently. Isaiah 53 verse 4 and 6 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. God knew what he was doing when Jesus died on the cross. 2 Philippians verse 8 says this, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The book of Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 describes what was happening on the cross. It says this, But you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record that um, my glasses, that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by this victory over, over them on the cross of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for you and me. He was crucified for our sin. It's the only way that our sin could be dealt with. As the psalmist said earlier on, he paid full ransom for us to set us free. So in Christ Jesus, there is victory over the giant of sin. The Bible explains that he's the saviour of our souls. Death has been conquered. Our eternity is made sure. He's the healer of our bodies. Disease can be lifted in the name of Jesus. He's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Boldness and courage are given from God to face any giant. The Bible explains that Jesus is the coming king. He's our hope for the future. The Bible also explains that he's the Alpha and Omega. He's the sure foundation that we can base our lives upon. And it also says he's the great deliverer. He rescues us from all our foes in this lifetime or the lifetime to come. In fact, John 8 verse 36 says this. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know what giant you have in your life in a physical sense. But I do know in a spiritual sense. We are all bound by sin if we don't invite Jesus to come and do something about it. 1 John 4 verse 4 says this. Greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. And if you open that door and invite Jesus in. Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. We know that he who is in the world is our enemy, Satan. We know that sin is Satan's giant. But greater is he if you open that door and you invite this one man from Bethlehem in today. Without him, you will always be defeated. You will always be facing this giant of sin. Today, today, you can be free from that giant. Today, you can invite Jesus into your life to defeat that giant of sin. The Bible explains that if we turn from our sin, 
Bible calls that repentance. If we accept Jesus into our lives, he can eradicate that sin once and for all. No longer do we need to be in fear. No longer do we need to be uh, intimidated. No longer is sin our defiant enemy. We can be victorious in and through what Christ Jesus did on the cross. And you can be free from that giant this morning. It's as easy as coming before God and praying a very simple but sincere prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer. I'm going to give every single one of us an opportunity to pray that prayer this morning. And if you've never prayed that prayer and you're sitting here this morning thinking, I've got giants in my life. I've got the giant of sin in my life and I need to do something about it. That's God's Holy Spirit speaking to you this this morning. Not me, not just a man. It's God's Holy Spirit saying, come to me. Come to me. I can do something about it. And I'm going to pray a prayer that if you follow it, just in the quietness of your own heart, you can pray. And God will hear that prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud. He knows every heart. He knows whether you're genuine and sincere this morning. So let me invite you. Please bow your head. Close your eyes. Let's be aware of God right now. No one else around us. This is just between you and God. Prayer is very simple and yet sincerely said can make such a massive difference in your life this morning. You follow this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you fought the giant of sin and defeated death and sin and Satan forever. Thank you, Lord, that you died in my place. Thank you, Lord, that you died for me. Today, I invite you into my life. I open up that door and I say, Jesus, come into my life. Come in to cleanse me. Come in to restore me. Come in and be my Lord from this day forward. Help me to follow you as my Lord and Savior. May I know that sure foundation that the Bible speaks about. May I know that joy and that peace that the Bible says can be mine. And while every head is bowed this morning and every eye is closed, you might have said that prayer in a faltering way, but you might have said that prayer sincerely and genuinely. And if you've said that prayer this morning, I'd like you to to indicate to me. I'd like you to just indicate, but just by raising your hands. When you raise your hand, an usher will come and put a booklet in your hand, free of charge, that will help you in this journey that you've begun, this journey of discipleship with Jesus. It will help you. So if you prayed that prayer this morning, you just raise your hand right now. Keep it raised until an usher comes and puts that, that booklet in your hand. Then you can put your hand right down. Thank you. God bless you. Quite a few people across the hall. Anybody else? Even now, you might be fighting. You might be battling away. Don't battle. Let Jesus battle for you. Just invite him in. Accept him as your Lord and Savior today. Just keep your hand up until an usher puts a booklet in your hand. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for these people this morning, Lord, that have 
not just raised their hand, but prayed a very sincere prayer. Lord, you know every heart. Lord, you know where they're at. And Lord, you sent your son to die for them. Father, I pray, Lord, that today they would know you as Lord and Savior. They would know the joy and the peace that only you could bring. They would know the hope, Lord, that only you can give them. May they know you as their Lord and Savior this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you took a booklet this morning, inside that booklet there's a little, uh, little orange sheet and you can fill in the details and just leave it at the welcome desk and we'll invite you to come on the Alpha course that was talked about earlier on. You'll learn more about what uh, the Bible speaks about, about what Jesus did and about what Christianity is really all about. You can ask any questions. If you still have questions and you didn't raise your hand this morning, but you'd like that booklet or you'd like to come on the Alpha course, then you can ask an usher. They will give you a booklet and you can certainly sign up uh, at the welcome desk afterwards. Thank you for listening. God bless you. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a great song. I am a friend of God. Thank you, Karen.